The Orthodox Journey, brought to you by the Greek Orthodox Christian Society. As we continue on our Fast of the Apostles in our Orthodox Journey on this second Sunday of Matthew, we look at the Gospel where Jesus calls on men who were fishermen to become fishers of men. We'll be joined by Elpida Sergius. Our Saint of the Week is Saint Jude Thaddeus, a lesser-known apostle but renowned intercessor for all that call upon his name. Nicopsychorgios will join us to commemorate Saint Jude Thaddeus, whose feast day is on the 19th of June. We'll also be joined by Michael Passes to explore some orthodox spiritual reflections on contemporary notions of love. This is The Orthodox Journey. The second Sunday of Matthew, with Elpida Sergius of the Greek Orthodox Ladies Group. The first disciples of Christ were already followers of Saint John the Baptist. They were Andrew, Simon, later called Peter, Philip, Nathaniel, and probably John the Evangelist too. But when their leader was thrown into prison, they returned back to their day jobs, so to speak, as fishermen. And today's gospel passage comes after St. John the Baptist was put into prison. 
and these men had already heard some of Christ's preaching. As soon as Christ caused them to follow him, they literally dropped their nets and go with him. Now, let's take a little bit of a closer look at what the disciples were doing. Andrew and Peter were casting a net into the sea, and James and John were mending their nets. Here we have four poor, illiterate men doing their work, and it was very consuming and laborious work. I'm not sure if you know much about fishing, but mending nets is very finicky work and displays the poverty of these men who couldn't afford to replace their old nets, yet relied on them to survive. I think we all probably have something equivalent to mending nets in our own life. It may be related to the mind-numbing work of having small children. It might be domestic work that we don't particularly enjoy, or perhaps our jobs require long hours and a lot of patience. This passage shows us how in our humble state, doing humble work, Christ will come to us. Christ rejected the pridefulness and boastfulness of the Pharisees and drew himself close to those who had no social status, those who were lowly, those who were poor, those who were simple and those who were rejected. It's difficult to desire these things for ourselves, but that is what attracts Christ. Though illiterate and unlearned in the scriptures, these people of the land whom Jesus calls are revealed at Pentecost to be the wisest of all. So how do we respond to Christ when he does call us? The disciples firstly heard his call, despite the fact that they were working. When we go about our own day, when we are doing the menial tasks, when we are working hard, consumed by what is next on our list, consumed by who needs us next, do we have the ability to hear God? Do we have room for him? St. John Chrysostom says that though they were in the midst of their work, when they heard his command, they delayed not, they procrastinated not. They didn't say, let us return home and converse with our kinsfolk, but they forsook all and followed. Notice how the disciples' response is described. The gospel could have said that they immediately followed him, but it is specifically noted that they leave their work, their livelihood, their tasks behind. Following Christ requires some degree of detachment from those things that will pull us away from his presence. These things are different for each of us in our own circumstances. It is not always a matter of walking away from everything altogether. It is a matter of wanting and prioritising a different world to one we have now. One where we constantly strive for humility, for purity, for repentance. It's putting that above what we experience now in our sinful state. It is about our priority to cut our own will and make way for Christ. It is our priority to struggle with our sins. This is what it means to follow Christ. The disciples also had a sense of urgency. St. John Chrysostom comments that such is the obedience which Christ seeks of us as that we delay not even a moment of time, though something absolutely most needful should vehemently press on us. Now, why were the disciples prepared to follow Christ immediately? Because they accepted that, that they did not know better. Even though the disciples were so willing, obedient, faithful and loyal, Christ didn't reveal himself fully to them in response straight away. These men followed him for three years, but they understood very little about him, of what he told them and showed them. As soon as they did understand more, he changed form. 
he resurrected, stayed with them just 40 days and then sent his Holy Spirit. The same can go for us. We may have a sense of what our calling is, what Christ wants us to do, and yet it is not the case that we immediately are enlightened about God's will for us in its particularities. God does not fully reveal himself. God is so much greater than us. He's incomprehensible. Perhaps sometimes we assume, though, that when we are struggling, that God will show us or give us something special. Metropolitan Nikolaos, in his book, Investing in the Kingdom of God, says that God emerges in greater truth when ignorance of him is humbly confessed, rather than when knowledge of him is pursued. Love, too, as a relationship, he says, is higher when the people do not know each other completely, rather than when the boldness of acquaintance and familiarity predominates. He's saying that when we become familiar with someone, we can become bold, perhaps headstrong, and this can affect the love we have for them. That is, we don't need to fully know or understand our spouse to love them, and even more so, we don't need to fully understand and know God. In fact, we cannot to love him and to follow him. The disciples knew something of Christ. They weren't completely blind. He wasn't a stranger to them. But they didn't put their trust in their own judgment or their own thoughts. Instead, they accepted and were obedient to the little they did understand. That their leader confessed Christ to be great, and here he was in front of them, telling them to follow him. The word disciple comes from the Latin for to take, accept, and to learn. To become a disciple of Christ, we must accept that we need to learn. And to follow someone means we must be behind them. We are not side by side. We are not equal to them. If there is one piece of human knowledge that God admires in us, it is the knowledge that we are weak and we need him. Paradoxically, when we realize that we know so little, we will know him more. I wanted to finish with a story that demonstrates this from St. Basios' life. During one of Christ's visits to St. Basios, the saint washed his feet in a way, of course, that is truly indescribable. But he kept the water in a basin. Shortly thereafter, one of his disciples returned from a certain obedience, from some difficult job, tired and sweaty. After he prostrated himself before St. Basios, the saint said to him, My child, go over to the basin and drink some water to refresh yourself. May it be blessed, responded the disciple. However, he did not go to to drink from that sanctified water, which had been used to wash the immaculate feet of our Christ. His thought, or rather the demon, instructed him, This elder has no brain. I came back from a lengthy journey exhausted, and instead of sending me to the spring to drink clean water, he's sending me to the basin to drink dirty water. This isn't right, and so he did not drink. During his next meeting with St. Basios, the saint asked him, My child, did you not go to drink water from that basin? Of course, he knew that he had not done so. Forgive me, Yeronda, I did not go because I was expecting you to send me to the spring or to give me a pitcher with clean water, but rather, you sent me to drink water from the wash basin. Who knows where that water has been? With these thoughts in mind, I did not go to drink because I did not find your request to be in good judgment. The saint then sighed, you poor man, if you only knew what you deprived yourself of, that wash water was sanctified, it contained all the graces of Christ. It was no ordinary wash water. 
It was water that was used to wash the feet of Christ. If you would have drank from it, you would have received inordinate grace and would have become a different person. Unfortunately, you deprived yourself of this blessing by doing your own will. May we learn from this story and from the example of the disciples. The Saint of the Week, Saint Jude Thaddeus, with Nick Psychogios of the Greek Orthodox Christian Society. Saint Jude, one of the twelve apostles of our Lord, was the brother of James, Joseph and Simon, sons of the righteous Joseph's first marriage and descendants of King David and Solomon. The holy apostles John the theologian writes in his gospel, neither did his brethren believe in him. John chapter 7 verse 5. Saint Theophylact explains this passage. He says that at the beginning of Christ's earthly ministry, Joseph's sons, Jude among them, did not believe in his divine nature Tradition says that when St. Joseph returned from Egypt, he began to divide his possessions among his sons. He wanted to allot a share to Christ the Saviour, born miraculously and incorruptibly from the all-pure Virgin Mary. The brothers, however, were opposed to this because Jesus was born of another mother. Only James, later called the brother of Christ, offered to share his portion with him. 
St Jude came to believe in Christ the Saviour as the awaited Messiah, and he followed him and was chosen as one of the Twelve Apostles. Mindful of his sin, St Jude considered himself unworthy to be called the Lord's brother, and in his epistle he calls himself merely the brother of James. St Jude also had other names. The evangelist Matthew calls him Leveos, whose surname was Thaddeus, and the evangelist Mark also calls him Thaddeus. After the ascension of our Lord Jesus Christ, and having received the Holy Spirit, St Jude, animated by divine zeal, travelled about preaching the gospel. He enlightened the soul with his words and healed the body with his prayers, to attest that God's power was indeed within him. He preached the faith in Christ at first in Judea, Galilee and Samaria, and later in the lands of Arabia, Syria and Mesopotamia. Finally, he went to the city of Edessa. Here he finished the work that was not completed by his predecessor, Saint Thaddeus, Apostle of the Seventy. Labouring for the enlightenment of the pagan peoples and converting them from their former superstitions to the light of the true knowledge of Christ, Saint Jude made his way to the lands around Mount Ararat in Armenia, where he converted a multitude of people to Christianity. Having stirred up the pagan unbelievers, they seized him and subjected him to many tortures. St. Jude died as a martyr around the year 80, near Mount Ararat in Armenia, where he was hung up and pierced by arrows. In this way, he delivered his soul into the hands of God and received from him the unfading crown of martyrdom. In St. Jude's epistle, which was placed among the sacred writings of our church, the Holy Apostle corrected the false doctors and heretics who frequented gatherings of Christians to spread their errors. He calls these people grumblers and complainers who walk according to their own lusts, flattering people to gain advantage. Their corrupt behaviour was the best proof of the falseness of their teachings and the Apostle states, that they would be punished by God. He encourages the faithful that they refrain from such contact, basing themselves on the true faith by prayer, fasting and putting all their trust in God's providence. St Jude's epistle also speaks about the Holy Trinity, about the incarnation of the Lord Jesus Christ, about the good and bad angels, and about the Last Judgment. St Jude urges the faithful to guard themselves against fleshly impurity, to be diligent in prayer, faith and love, and to convert the lost to the path of salvation. He also says that it is not enough just to be converted to Christianity, but faith must be demonstrated by good works. He cites the rebellious angels who left their proper place in heaven in closeness to God and have now become bound to spiritual darkness.
The Kondakion dedicated to St. Jude is as follows. You were chosen as a disciple for your firmness of mind, an unshakable pillar of the Church of Christ. You proclaimed his word to the Gentiles, telling them to believe in one Godhead. You were glorified by him, receiving the grace of healing the ills of all who came to you, O most praised Saint Jude. Orthodox Spiritual Reflections on Love with Michael Passus of the Greek Orthodox Christian Society. TV shows, movies, singers and songwriters all claim to tell us what love is. But what does love mean for God? How are we as Orthodox Christians called upon by God to show love? The answer can be found in the 13th chapter of St. Paul's first epistle to the Corinthians, appropriately called the Love Chapter. In this chapter, we find a passage commonly known as the Hymn of Love. This is a definitive explanation of what is expected of Christian love or agape. In this passage, St. Paul explains that love is greater than all the other graces or talents. In the first three verses, St. Paul states that gifts of tongues, prophecies, knowledge, faith, and even the acts of almsgiving and martyrdom cannot be performed in a Christian manner without love. In other words, works and faith are not enough to bring us closer to Christ if they are not done with the correct spirit. This correct spirit is one of love which is the foundation of the two commandments given by Christ in the Gospels. These two commandments are firstly to love God with all your heart and secondly to love your neighbour as yourself. With poetic perfection, 
St. Paul describes in the following five verses the character of the love we should show. He describes what we must do to achieve this true form of love, the kind which Christ expects of us and to which we accord. In verse 4, we hear the virtues required for perfect love, which are patience, kindness, not envying, not boasting, and humility. Verse 7 tells us that love is one which bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. In verses 5 and 6, we hear that love is not selfish and that it rejoices in the truth. St. John Chrysostom describes love as not only subduing vice, but not even allowing it to arise at all. If we perform love in the way described by St. Paul and exemplified by Christ, the Theotokos and the saints throughout their lives, then we will know the true meaning of love never fails. It is this love which Orthodox Christians accord to make the cornerstone and foundation of their lives. Amen. We hope you've enjoyed this edition of The Orthodox Journey. For more spiritually nourishing talks, podcasts and articles to help you on your journey on the fast of the apostles, visit our website at lyknos.org. That's L-Y-C-H-N-O-S dot O-R-G.